Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Now through the neutral zone comes Connor McDavid. Double team, got it back. Great shot, score. What a beautiful move. Deep backhand, went back to the forehand. And welcome back, Connor. His sixth goal of the season is a work of art. Raleigh, he's going to keep it. He hits the five. Hey, Edmonton, that's your quarterback. Mike Riley to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimo. Ladies and gentlemen, Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chet. Well, on two occasions this evening, an NHL player has put the puck into the opposing team's net. Only one of them has counted because of the dreaded video review on an offside call. Here's what we have so far. Lightning up 1-0 on the Red Wings after the first. Kucherov. His fourth of the playoffs. The Penguins and the Rangers scoreless after one. Coming up later, St. Louis is at Chicago. The Blues lead the series 2-1. Anaheim visits Nashville. Nashville leads that series 2-0. Baseball tonight, the Toronto Blue Jays taking on the Orioles, who have started the season very well. Blue Jays are up 3-0 in the top of the fourth. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. It's 6.06 in the p.m., and we have a lot to get to tonight. We'll get some updates from NHL playoff cities, Philadelphia and Los Angeles in the first hour of the show. How about this? Three-time Super Bowl champion Troy Brown, formerly of the New England Patriots, in Edmonton today. Dave Campbell caught up with him. We'll get the story there, and uh, this is going to be fun. In about an hour from now, in studio with Al Hamilton and Bob Falkenberg from the Memorial Cup champion 1966 Edmonton Oil Kings. That team is being honored this summer. We'll give you the details, and I'm sure those men will have some very interesting stories. As always, I would love to hear from you and uh, I guess off the top here, we'll do a little bit on video review, which we also talked about early in the show yesterday because it continues to uh, rear its ugly head. And, uh, and I'm wondering if, if most of you are at the point where you would call it an, an ugly head. If you would just prefer, it's one of those things where it's almost like the relative that's being too helpful, right? It's like, hey, uh, you know, I know you're a little busy, so I, I, uh, I uh, you know, here's a, here's a lasagna. Okay, great, I appreciate it. Appreciate that. And then the next day they drop off, uh, you know, some steaks. And then the next day they drop off a chocolate cake. It's just like, okay, yes, I, I'm, I'm busy, but you're giving me food that I'm going to have to wind up throwing out. Are you ready just to throw out the video review? So here's what happened on the offside today. Uh, Kreider got the goal for the Rangers. They were offside 13 seconds before the goal scored. 13 seconds before the goal scored. And it was one of those where the puck goes over the blue line, the player is lifting up his skate. The skate is still over top of the blue line, but the puck is over, so uh, it's offside. And I think, I was saying last night, 
those should be the rules should be changed so those are onside. That the your skate has to be fully over the blue line for you to be offside. You're allowed to lift your skate up off the ice and only have the one planted foot inside the zone as long as the skate off the ice is still at least partially over top of the blue line. Because technically, you're not across the blue line, in my mind, till the skate's totally in. So I'd be fine with them leaving the video review, but actually changing what the rule is for offside. Because so many of these have been where a player has barely lifted his skate off the ice while on the blue line. And then it's offside. I mean, the one in the St. Louis game from a couple days ago, uh, I think it was Laterra. His his skate was clearly ahead of the puck, so that was offside. But I mean, it's it's been a, a low scoring league with the video review that has found ways to disallow goals. Uh, Barry said, why was the LA Kings goal? This is a text. Why was the LA Kings goal not reviewed last night for offside? Pearson was in the zone when the puck went over the line. He did not completely clear the zone as he still had one skate on the blue line. He needed to have both outside the blue line. Uh, well, no, you don't. You, you're, you only have to tag up with one foot, Barry. Uh, but you're right. It was close. And I, I actually wondered if they were going to look at that, but you only have to touch up with one skate, getting it on the blue line to, to get out. But it's 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 a rule that all it's doing is taking away goals in in a low scoring era and it's it's interesting talking to you throughout the season especially what it affected the Oilers more with the goalie interference i suppose but some of you has just said just get rid of it just i this is this is worse than living with the mistakes referees make and then seeing it in a in a replay because it creates a delay and when it comes to the offside, sometimes it is microscopic, microscopic, the the difference. As Rick Nash gets a goal that counts for the New York Rangers, and they go up one nothing on the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins early in the second period. You can let me know what you think. You can text six thirty six thirty. The email inside sports at six thirty ched dot com. You can tweet me at Reed Wilkins, and of course the text line uh, or uh, the phone number. Pardon me, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. In a few minutes, we are going to get to Steve Coates, radio analyst for the Philadelphia Flyers. Kellen Kennedy is our studio producer on the other side of the window tonight. Kellen, old boy, how are you doing? Not too bad. How are you doing, Reed? Now you're a big fan of WWE. Do yes. they have video review in wrestling? <laughs> they tried in in a few angles. They've used it. They tried. Uh, infamously to institute it uh, prior to the 1991 WrestleMania with hilarious results. It ended up with uh, Vince McMahon, George Steinbrenner, and one of the uh, CBS football analysts. I think the I can't remember his name, but he was the bald guy with the mustache, little dude. But I probably I don't, explain I don't it. remember. Yeah, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, that was it. That was the most famous instance of of instant replay in wrestling. They they don't do that. Are you kidding me? Well, because it's scripted, I guess you don't need to. They should yeah. work, they could work it into the script, though. Have work it more controversy with the video review. Why not? Yeah, why not? Sure. All right, it's six twelve. The Philadelphia Flyers got an early goal last night, and then it was all Washington after that. Steve Coates will break down that game. Tell us about the stuff that got. Oh, I gotta play. This. I gotta play this, Kellen. Wait, hang on. Before we go to break, this okay. was Flyers PA announcer Lou Nolan last night. Okay, those of you that have been thrown have been done it now. Two-minute bench fighter for the Flyers for delay of the game. On 14 minutes, 58 seconds. Way to go. 
Way to go. You've done it now. The fans in Philly got heck from their PA announcer. Steve Coates up next. He will also share some memories of late Flyers owner and founder Ed Snyder. That's ahead on Inside Sports. Inside Sports on 630. Chad Reed Wilkins with you. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Tomorrow night, the Philadelphia Flyers will be facing elimination against the Washington Capitals. Of course, yesterday's game 6-1 in favor of the Capitals. Flyers radio analyst Steve Coates on the other end of the line. Steve, thanks for joining us on 630. Chad, how are you doing? Great. How are you guys doing? Well, doing very well. Thanks a lot for making time for us. And uh, it's been an interesting series so far. Uh, though it might be a short one between the Flyers and the Capitals. I want, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, uh, but first, obviously, one of the stories surrounding this series and the Flyers' season was the uh, the passing of Ed Snyder, founder of the team. I mean, if there's one name that's associated with the Flyers, he, he'd, he'd be right up there with, with a lot of the great players. I mean, you've known him a long time. Just tell us what it was like to, to know the man a bit on a personal level. Well, first of all, Mr. Snyder was a owner when the National Hockey League first expanded back in 1967. He took a chance bringing Philadelphia a hockey team. And it was a, a struggle in the early years. And then he got to learn the game. And during the early 70s, the St. Louis Blues were rocking everybody. And he had a game against the Flyers, against the Blues, and they got rocked pretty good. The Plager brothers were kind of running around a little bit, and he just said, I don't want that to happen to my hockey club anymore. So Keith Allen, the general manager, went out, and they uh, developed the Broad Street Bullies, and they never looked back. Won two Stanley Cups, and the brand and the culture was created by Mr. Snyder. And there's nothing ever like it. It's just been an unbelievable experience, and to lose them, uh, has been a very sad moment, very sad thing, because he's the only owner I've ever known as long as I've been with the organization. I started here in 1973. So Mr. Snyder is a loss to not only the hockey community, but to all sports fans, to everybody that uh, has anything to do with sports in the city of Philadelphia, to every fan, because he set a precedence that I don't think will ever be met again, because he was just absolutely... A, outstanding owner, cared about his players, had a passion for the game, passion for winning, did what he had to do to be successful. And I'll give you two numbers just to give you an idea of how successful they have been. Oh, yeah, they had won a Cups in 75, 74-75. But outside of the Montreal Canadiens, there's only the second team to win the most games percentage-wise, seven, is the Philadelphia Flyers. Outside of the Montreal Canadiens, the team that's gone to the most Stanley Cup finals since 1967 has been the Philadelphia Flyers, which tells you that this is a very successful franchise, Mr. Ed Snyder. Well, and I was saying last night, I, I mean, they, they've had certainly some down years, as all franchises do, but they're one of those teams they consistently pop up in the Final Four or, or making a trip to the Stanley Cup Final. And, I mean, they're never a, they've never been a team that's been afraid to, to make that big trade or, or spend a lot on a free agent, and I assume that all starts with, with his mentality. That's, that was his mentality for many, many years. And, ironically, the mentality changed – just this last couple of years when Ron Hextall took over as general manager, where he convinced Mr. Snyder that we had to wait. We had to be uh, patient to, you know, to build through the draft and do that 
as compared to doing what we did with splashers, like bringing in Jeremy Roenick, bringing in Pronger, uh, bringing in Forsberg. Those are the things we did as a hockey club to be able to show our fans that we were trying to win every year. And now, in the last couple of years, they've stopped with Ron Hextall as the general manager. And sadly, we're moving in the right direction, and Mr. Snyder passes uh, probably right in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, when when we saw him speak in the media in in Canada, he was often fiery, critical of the league or, or something that uh, uh, you know something that that bothered him. Maybe that happened in in a game. Um, did did he always show that fire, or was there maybe another side to Mr. Snyder that that uh, wasn't always broadcast on our TV screens? Oh no, he was a work hard, play hard guy. I mean, he was a, a, a fellow that it was his team. That was his team. He was going to do what he had to do to protect his team. Um, he was the longest tenured owner when he passed in the National Hockey League. Like I mentioned, he came in in 67, but he was a really good guy. But passion, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was about wins and losses. It was about success and about winning championships. And that's what he was all about. So, yeah, there were two sides to him. But at the same time, when it came to business, you never walked away from him wondering what he meant. Steve Coates joining us, Philadelphia Flyers broadcast booth. Steve uh, bringing you the series between the Capitals and the Flyers. And uh, it could end in game four. We will see. But, uh, Steve, take me through that game last night. I mean, I was following it with one eye while I was hosting this show and uh, couldn't have started better for the Flyers, obviously, needing to win all that energy on home ice. And then uh, it, it just went south. I mean, was that the penalties? Is that just, hey, the Capitals are the Capitals. They're a great team. How did you see that game yesterday? Emotional roller coaster. Yeah. The uh, ceremony to honor Mr. Snyder was spectacular. The emotion in the building, spectacular. Scoring the first goal, couldn't have scripted it any better. Then after that, it just went. I guess it, I, I guess the best way to describe it went downhill. I think the team that was the better team, the cream came to the top, and uh, they just are too tough a hockey club. And we're talking about a Philadelphia Flyers team that nobody expected them to make the playoffs, and they did everything they possibly could, of which was trying to make it for Mr. Snyder because they had gone to visit him in January, so that became part of the story. So – he passed the day after he found out that they made the playoffs. I mean, talking about the script, everything was like right in line. But then again, in the game last night, Washington, we all know how good they are, how deep they are, how strong they are, how big they are. They took over the hockey game. And we got a couple of bad goals, and it just started to go and unravel. And then the third period, what happened was there was a hit from Belmar, on Orlov, and Belmar's not that type of player. It was just a, it was a hockey play. Orlov got himself in a spot, and the hit looked really bad. And Belmar was looking at Orlov to make sure he was all right, but all hell broke loose with the other players on the ice. Belmar's that type of player, and that's why I don't think anybody went after Belmar, because I don't think everybody thought that he was at fault, but everybody else did, and so as a result, there was penalties, there was majors. We had five on three for the last part of the hockey game. And at the beginning of the game, they had a light show. Everybody had a watch to be able to uh, illuminate the building and that type of thing. So the fans started throwing the watches on, and 
uh, the uh, the referee came over to Kevin, uh, the referee Kevin Pollock came over to the uh, voice of the Wells Fargo Center, Lou Dolan, said, you're going to get penalized if they keep throwing. So Lou Nolan came on the uh, loudspeaker or the sound system, right, and, and said, hey, that's it. you got to stop or we're going to get penalized. And so they continued, and the Flyers got penalized. So it just went downhill. It was a just a terrible ending to a marvelous evening. And sadly, it was a night that was honoring the guy that put it all together back in 1967. Steve, before I let you go, i got to ask you about uh, Steve Mason. I mean, I was saying last night, regardless of what he did to get the Flyers into the playoffs, you know, in this day and age, that goal he let in from center ice is going to be, unfortunately, the one that gets played on any top 10 uh, blooper reel or, or whatever you want to call it uh, with the way they, they do all these countdown shows now. Tell me a little bit about Mason's season and his importance to the Flyers, you know, regardless of maybe a couple, couple of tough goals in the playoffs. Well, it was it was an interesting year. I don't think that Steve Mason was the better goalie throughout most of the year. I think Michael Neubert was the better of the two. Um, and then Neubert got hurt. So Mason was given the opportunity at a time where they were trying to make the playoffs and needed a big run to get to the playoffs. So Mason took over that position while Neubert was hurt. They called up Stolarz as the backup. And that's the way it ran. And Mason was spectacular. He was a main that this hockey club made the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. A main reason. So he got the start. First game in Washington, spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. Then in the second game, he was he made a save in the second period. I thought he had torn both the groins. It was just a scary save. And I said, wow, he is just absolutely on fire right now. Then the goal that you just talked about. That had nothing to do with the loss. Had nothing to do with it. It just came at an inopportune time. And you know as well as I do, the rhythm of a game in the Stanley Cup playoffs is the most important element. And that changed the rhythm of the game. And the Washington Capitals have never really looked back after taking the lead in game two. And Mason just got caught up in a a tough one. I thought he should have had the the goal uh, by Ovechkin last night. Then one came off the back of the glass, off the uh, extrusion, and right out in front. Because Newstep was standing right there, and he had the opportunity to knock it by. So uh, there was a lot of tough things that happened last night. But uh, Steve Mason has a lot to do with what, it's happened to the Flyers of being where they are. Has it been a tough couple of games? Yes, but he was one of the reasons. Steve, thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, that is Steve Coates, Philadelphia Flyers broadcaster. They are in tough. Some great memories, though, of former owner Ed Snyder. 627, scoreboard update coming up, and Nick Nixon, play-by-play voice of the L.A. Kings, when we get back. Hi, this is Taylor Hall from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. How about another goal for Kucherov from the Tampa Bay Lightning? His fifth of the playoffs. Bolts lead the Wings 2-0. Eight minutes left in the second period. Still 1-0 for the Rangers over the Penguins. They have about uh, six minutes to go in the second frame. Blues and Blackhawks start in about an hour same start time for Anaheim and Nashville. The Blue Jays in action tonight, leading Baltimore 3-1. That one is in the top of the fifth. Reed Wilkins with you inside Sports on 630. Chad, thanks for tuning in tonight. Playoffs resuming on other fronts tomorrow, including 
The L.A. and San Jose series, and L.A. pulled a big one out in overtime last night. They still trail two games to one, but they were facing three zip. Nick Nixon, play-by-play voice for the L.A. Kings, joining us now. Nick, welcome back to the 630 Chet Airwaves. Thanks for fitting me in tonight, man. Yeah, no problem, Reed. Good to be back with you. Yeah, I know a busy uh, busy time for you. And and before we launch into the hockey stuff, Nick, I always try to find out something a little extra about a guy before we go into the interview. I did not uh-oh, realize this. Uh-oh. No, no, don't worry. It's sports related. Uh, okay. <laughs> you uh, while you were doing L.A. Kings play by play, you also spent some time doing L.A. Dodgers. Was it PA announcing? Yes, I was the public address announcer for. Uh, but eight years, starting in 1983 through I think 1990, and uh, I was uh, I was uh, there the last time the Dodgers were in the World Series back in 1988. I did a little double duty my first few years in Southern California, doing the Kings games and then uh, spending my summer nights at the ballpark at Dodger Stadium. So really, when we're talking about Oral Hershiser's 59 inning scoreless streak on the mound, that you have it's really because of you, right? Like, let's uh, absolutely. <laughs> I gave him all the tips. Uh, I, I, I noticed that his uh, his release point was a little bit off, so I checked in with him and uh, he made the correction. <laughs> what, what was it? I mean, I remember that as a as as a teenager, and there, you know, I I, I didn't have access to highlight shows like now, so you'd be following, you know, box scores in the paper or reading Sports Illustrated or whatever. What was it like, and I realize as a starter he's pitching every fifth day, but what was that summer like just, just following that that streak? Because, I mean, that lasted for months. Yeah, you know, it, it was interesting because the, the tone was really set that year in training camp, and, and the story's been told many times. Uh, Kirk Gibson had just been... Uh, uh, joining uh, the Dodgers, uh, getting ready for his first year. And they were at training camp, and, and I believe it was Jesse Orozco, the, the veteran relief pitcher, was trying to pull a prank uh, at, at Vero Beach, and he put some of that eye black that the players wear on sunny days in Kirk Gibson's ball cap. And then Kirk Gibson puts it on, and, of course, it starts uh, you know, kind of bleeding down his forehead into his face. And everybody thought it was going to be a great joke, the new guy in town. But Gibson went off on a rant like, what the heck is going on here? This is not why I'm here. I'm here to win a championship. So, you know, that, that's the story that everybody kind of goes back to. And um, Gibson just turned out to be a great leader. And if I remember correctly, he, he wound up being the National League MVP. And he only drove in, like, I think 78 runs that year. He didn't have a, a monster Trout or Bryce Harper-type season where it's automatic, but I think all the people that, that vote for that award realize that the character and leadership he brought was a huge reason why the Dodgers got to the postseason. And, and you look at every time, every time the Dodgers would, would match up in the playoffs, uh, they had the Mets and then they had the Oakland A's, and they're, they're matching up position by position, and there's no way they match up with their opponents. But, you know, uh, like we've seen, uh, you know, and really it's been – uh, the, the hallmark of Dodger teams for, for decades, their pitching has always been good. And uh, led by Oral Hershiser, they found a way to get it done. But it was a fun time. And, and one of my best um, memories of Kirk Gibson that year uh, was, and I think they were playing the Montreal Expos. It was a regular season game, and Gibson was on second base, and there was a wild pitch. And Gibson not only goes to third, he never stopped. 
He just kept on going, and he scores from second base on the wild pitch. And uh, just another moment where Gibson is just taking charge of the team and saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we've got to do whatever it takes. And, and they got it done. Uh, it was a, a fun time. Of course, Gibson with that dramatic uh, pinch hit home run and Oral Hershiser. Uh, you mentioned the consecutive uh, scoreless innings uh, streak in the regular season breaking. Another uh, Dodger record, uh, Don Drysdale. Um, and, you know, Hershiser in, in one of his starts in the World Series, uh, batting, he took such pride in batting as most pitchers do, had three hits in one of those World Series. That's right, so, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a fun time. It was a fun time. So were, were you doing the PA when when Gibson hit the, the dramatic home run, what, in game one? No. You were doing No, uh, I was doing a Kings game. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I have to look back, and I've talked to uh, other uh, um, people about this on, on interviews like we're doing now. I don't think it was Gretzky's home debut at Staples Center because the World Series is late October now, and even was back then in 1988. But I do know I had a conflict, and, of course, Kings games uh, always took precedent. But, uh, yeah, um, I think it was a, a Friday night and or a Saturday night, and, uh, um, you know, Gretzky and the Kings were, were playing, so I was there at, at the Forum. All right. Well, that's that's a great story. Thanks for sharing memories. That that's one of the most memorable uh, World Series to, for me for sure. Nick Nixon joining us on Inside Sports, play-by-play voice of the LA Kings. Okay. Uh, well, y- you've had your share of uh, drama <laughs> for the LA Kings over the last <laughs> few seasons, and and another moment last night where look, I, I know there's a, a history between these two teams in the Kings coming back from three nothing down to win the series. Uh, I'm guessing they're they're glad they're not rolling the dice with that deficit again, though. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, we were saying after the game last night that the Sharks actually wanted to lose last night, uh, so they didn't have to go up three nothing and face all the questions again right. like they did uh, two years ago. But of course, that that's not the scenario. But um, you know, the Kings and Sharks are meeting for the fourth time in six playoff years. And uh, they've been interesting series. And, of course, you alluded to the fact that the Kings uh, have, have been in situations. Uh, I don't know if there's a playoff scenario that the Kings haven't faced, uh, starting with 2012. Uh, you know, being down and having to win on the road in Game 7s, being down 3-0 in series. And, and this is the, the third straight playoff year for the Kings that in the opening round they've, they've lost the first two games. It, it happened in 2013 with the St. Louis Blues, and then the Kings won four straight. Uh, and that year they got to the, the final before Chicago beat them out. And, uh, of course, two years ago uh, it was down not only 2-0, but, but 3-0 to, to San Jose. So, um, you know, again, a scenario the Kings are, are, are very familiar with, and, and I think this is a team that obviously is playoff tested, and, and their leadership group uh, just came up huge last night. I mean, Andre Kopitar's first period, uh, I don't know if you can play any better. Four shots on goal, he had a goal, he had a post, he had four hits, and he was, I think, 7-0 and in the faceoff circle. So you talk about a leader taking the bull by the horns, and then Dowdy plays 35 minutes uh, in a game that goes 63 minutes, and, and quick is quick again, just uh, you know, holding the forward after Thornton scores 30 seconds into the game. So uh, they had some of their swagger back, their, their playoff swagger back, and then the big boys were there, and uh, like we say many times, uh, as the Kings go, when 
Their top three are on their game. Kopitar, Dowdy, and Quick is a tough team to beat. Well, let me ask you this, Nick. Do you think the Kings are in the Sharks' heads? Does does, does that exist just from not only the last couple of years, but just from, you know, you mentioned the Kings having that, that swagger? Yeah, um, I, I don't. I don't see how you know. It's, it's human nature. Uh, I think if you're an athlete, and uh, let's say the Kings come out tomorrow and win here in San Jose, you know what the Sharks fans are going to be thinking, right? And you know because the core group of San Jose is still there that was there a couple of years ago. It, it, it's got to play with them. I, I remember in, in Game Seven. Uh, two years ago, Game 7 was in San Jose when the Kings had rallied back to tie it up. During the morning skate, we were doing our interviews and talking to some of the Sharks, and, and Daryl Evans and I, uh, Daryl, my partner on the radio side, we were talking after that skate like, you know, boy, they're, they're nervous. They're, they're uptight. They, they know that this is, this is something that, that they've got to win. They can't, they can't not win this game and lose four straight. And, you know, it definitely was playing with them then, and uh, like I said, it's human nature. You And the media, obviously, will not let them forget about it because, you know, it's a huge storyline from a media perspective. All right, so uh, Game 4 is tomorrow. Game 5, it will for sure happen uh, at the Staples Center. That'll be uh, on Friday, and then we'll see about Games uh, 6 and uh, 7 as uh, the Kings try to move on. Uh, one more time. Nick, thanks a lot for making time for us tonight on Inside Sports. It's always great to talk to you and enjoy calling the rest of the series and uh, the rest of the playoffs. We'll see how far they go for Los Angeles. Yeah, well, thanks very much. Always a pleasure, Reed. All right, that is Nick Nixon checking in tonight from California. Some uh, good memories of his baseball PA days as well when he was uh, the public address announcer for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that 1988 series. But Kirk Gibson's home run and then being able to hobble around the bases after uh, hitting one off Eckersley in the bottom of the ninth, that was a big memory uh, from that era of baseball. Okay, it is 6.44. The Penguins have tied it, by the way. Crosby on the power play in the last minute of the second period. We're now into the final 30 seconds between the Penguins and the Rangers, so a good one going on there. The Rangers did have a goal disallowed earlier because it was uh, deemed to be offside after video review. If you missed that, I have some texts about video review to get to when we return. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Well, a lot of fun stuff still ahead. Three-time Super Bowl champion Troy Brown will be on the show. Find out why he was in Edmonton. He was at a Edmonton school today. We'll tell you about that. Dave Campbell caught up with Troy Brown there. And in about uh, 13 minutes or so, well, I'll make it 18. Make it 17. Working on my math here. Al Hamilton's laughing at me. Uh, Al Hamilton and Bob Falkenberg. In studio from the 1966 Memorial Cup champion Edmonton Oil Kings. They're going to be going into the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame. So uh, that's pretty cool. Back in 1966, they won the Memorial Cup at Maple Leaf Gardens, which I think is like a movie theater or a grocery store or something. It's a grocery store. Thank you. All right, uh, 6.49. I want to catch up um, some text here to 6.30, We started at the beginning talking about the re- video review of the offsides. Again, the Rangers goal that was disallowed tonight, the player entering the zone lifted his skate off the ice, but it was still above the blue line, and then the puck went in. So my argument is 
those should now be on side. If they're going to insist on using video review, and we have the tech... I mean, look, can we all agree that all these wonderful cameras we have and carry around with us, they're not just to take videos of our cat, right? So we have the technology. We might as well use it in sports if we can. But maybe sometimes that means if they're going to insist on having offside reviewed, maybe you have to change the offside rule. Just because it's been one way since hockey was invented doesn't mean you can't tweak it a little bit. Um, Armswar says, I disagree with people who say video review should be eliminated. You have to get it right, otherwise it cheapens the championship. Now here's an interesting message from Jim, who says, set a three to five second time limit for the offside to expire. And, and I know that's been brought up, and Chris Johnston from Sportsnet was the first tweet I saw tonight anyway. He said the Rangers scored 13 seconds after the offside. So I, I guess you could either set a time limit on it, or do you say, all right, so the Rangers attack, or, or a hypothetical situation, say the Rangers attack, and they cycle the puck for 20 seconds, and then they turn it over to Crosby. And Crosby makes a bad clearing pass and gives it away to whoever, Nash, right in front of the net, and then he scores. Is, should that maybe be how the rule is adjusted? That if the defending team touches the puck, then, then they can't go back and video review it. Because I mean, we're just going to keep having these debates about time limits, about offside by millimeters about where the camera should be placed. So I, I don't know if it'll ever end, but I, I guess, I, I, you know, I think what J Jim is getting on, there, there's a point at a time in the play where the defending team should have had time to stop it or get the puck back. And for and for the argument I'm putting out there, and I don't even know if I'd like this, but I know I know it's out there and people are talking about it. If the defending team touches the puck, they then they at least have some sort of a chance to clear it. So then by that point, Entering the zone is negated by the defending team getting the puck. I mean, back and forth we go. I know, I know this, especially over the last five months of hosting this show. None of you want long delays because of video review. Because uh, two perfect examples, well, not two perfect examples, because there's been numerous in the NHL. I'm not going to pick one. Nobody wants to stand around and watch linesmen staring at an iPad for several minutes. Maybe they should get smaller screens. Like, just a little, you know, <laughs> something, something really tidy. Uh, the, yes, Al Hamilton, Al, Al, just come in here now since you're here. Bob, we might as well bring you guys in because you, you seem moderately interested in this. Or maybe you just think I'm nuts. I mean, Al, you just made the sign with your stretching your arms side to side. C could they not just put an 80-inch TV in the penalty box? There's room. Well, they might as well put it right in behind the, the, the uh, penalty box bench and, and they <laughs> bring up the, the review. I, I personally think it it takes away from the game in, in a lot of ways because you're there's a game there's some judgment and, and the color of the game is you get ripped at the referee when he makes a <laughs> crappy call or 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 he misses something and uh, if a linesman misses uh, misses something I oh well that goes both ways and, and uh, it. it now it, it delays the game, it, it changes momentum. I, I'm not a big fan of it. it. I was just, before I came over, I was watching the Blue Jays and uh, replay a, 
Uh, and, and it took about seven minutes to replay a play at first base. And there wasn't a run scored or anything. But uh, the next guy pops out, so yeah, didn't matter. So didn't matter. Well, the <laughs> last thing, a lot of on. times, a lot of times, missed calls amount to nothing. But I mean, they're trying to. Find, it's amazing how many goals have been called off. Um, uh, Dan texting in. He just says offside shouldn't be video reviewable. I don't know if they're going to go back to that. Uh, Jeff says if the defending team engages the play, the goal should. Uh, Count the defending team must protest right away. Well, but I don't know if you want a, a coach on the bench in intervening in the play. I mean, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe that's not what he meant. Sorry if I misunderstood that, Jeff. And uh, goalie says, uh, "Read your nuts." Well, I've heard that before, gentlemen. Uh, you've seen some of the ridiculous officiating errors this season. Introducing such a role would guarantee waiting to review every goal for this as a linesman wouldn't be able to detect whose raised skates are whose. So goalie doesn't like my idea that a raised skate still above the blue line um, should be on side. I will say this, and I've, I've said it before. If I were an NHL coach and I'm scored on in overtime, I'm asking for a review. Every single time. Even if it doesn't look remotely like offside. Yeah, there's nothing to lose. There's there. nothing to lose. You've already lost the game, so you might as well, even if you think there's no way, you might as well check for some little bobble of the uh, of the puck. It's one of those interesting fan debates, and, and I hope the NHL is listening to the fact that there is, um, you know, at least some level of, of dissatisfaction because ultimately the, the game is there for the fans. All right. Uh, Al Hamilton and Bob Falkenberg are in studio. We're going to bring them in for an extended interview. Uh, after the 7 o'clock news. Here's the latest update. The Lightning and the Red Wings are now tied 2-2. Kucherov, both goals for the Bolts. Helm and Nyquist have scored for the Detroit Red Wings. After the second period, the Penguins and the Rangers are even up 1-1. Crosby and Nash have the goals there, both coming in the second period. Chicago is home to St. Louis. That game will start at 7.30, as will the game between Anaheim and Nashville. And uh, speaking of those Blue Jays, looking good so far, up 3-1 on the Baltimore Orioles. That is in the bottom of the sixth. Stroman is on the hill for the Jays. So far, he's allowed just four hits. The one run, he has three strikeouts. A couple runs batted in tonight for uh, Troy Tulowitzki. He had a double in the third inning. All right. This is Inside Sports on 6.30. Chat. Of course, you can text us to 6.30, I mentioned Al Hamilton and Bob Falkenberg in studio next. Troy Brown, former New England Patriot, three-time Super Bowl champion. You'll hear him in conversation with Dave Campbell a little bit later on. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.